Hey you, thanks for tuning into the Waiting List Podcast. I'm Long Long. I'm Daniel. And I'm Jacqueline. And we are three watch friends with a healthy obsession for watches. So sit back and relax with us while we chat with collectors, industry giants, and share some good vibes. Welcome to the Waiting List Podcast. And today we welcome Benjamin Chi to the show. So actually, Ben, you probably don't know this, but... Um, there were people that were asking for you to come onto the show. So really? we listened and we have executed. So welcome to the show, Ben. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. And I'm, I'm truly, you know, honored and flattered to be a part of your wonderful show. I mean, I've listened to a few episodes mm. and to be on your show right now is just is, is truly an honor. So thank you again. Which shows did you listen to? I think it was the oldest Hodge one because um, I'm a fan of his from Leverage and um, the the Savior one the, uh, from Chapek uh, recently mm-hmm. and a, a couple more from you know a couple of months ago when he first started. Did Did you know before the podcast that Aldis is actually making his own watch? Did you? Know I, did. I did. I did. Oh, I did. I read in one of his interviews, so I was quite curious about it, and I sent him a DM, but I think he didn't see it, so. <laughs> but yeah looking forward yeah or maybe he just ignored yeah. you maybe, maybe. <laughs> likely yeah <laughs> podcast just started and now he wants to get off it <laughs> bye guys it's, it's nice knowing you <laughs> <laughs> right so what most people don't actually know is that benjamin and myself ben I've known each other for quite a few years now. Um, at least I probably put it to three to four years, way before he got the recognition with his latest uh, world timer in collaboration with Anderson Genev. So, in a way, I feel like I kind of knew knew you at the not at the start, but before you quote unquote, you know, got all this attention. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, pretty much. uh, I mean, you know, I think it was 2017 that we first started talking. So Mm -hmm. it's been about five, five good years so far. So somewhere around the midpoint of my journey. Yeah. uh, Actually, you know, there's a great entrepreneurial story here that I'm I'm really looking forward to uncover and for the audience to listen to. Thank you, thank you. I'm looking forward to sharing it. I mean. uh, what, what little, you know, pearls of wisdom I hope you know, I, I, I can share. Um, hopefully it's interesting to your audience. <laughs> right. So I don't want to go straight on to, you know, Anderson Genev and your GPHG, you know, nomination. Because the, when I knew you, you had a one brand and it was called Maison Celadon. That's right. Um, yeah. yeah. Can you explain how that brand came by? What inspired you to do that brand? Um, what that brand stands for. So I, well, I started Maison Celadon back in 2012. Uh, but when I say I started, it wasn't really like um, I, I, I expressly set out to start a brand or a business. It really was just, you know, me wanting to produce a watch exactly to my specifications. Um, how it started was, I mean, it depends how far you want to, you want to go back. Um, But I've always been into watches because my father kind of imparted that love for watches. Uh, He he was quite a big collector. So he would would lend me some of his pieces uh, when I was a kid, nine, 12 years old. And uh, at an early age, I had the 
opportunity to to be quite familiar with uh, very nice pieces and you know some more everyday pieces as well um and in in about 2008 i i went to shanghai to live for a few months uh, on an internship from university and there i started to get into chinese culture uh, connect with my roots uh, to get into uh, to 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 gain an interest in Chinese history and antiques uh, because antiques are obviously the manifestation of that history and and I realized that you know there are lots of artisans that still uh, ply their trade uh, very silently in, in in China but they're very little known not even not even just internationally but even from another, you know, in, in other parts of China, people may never have known about them. So I thought it's it's a shame um, to to have these people silently laboring in the in the shadows. And I wanted to sort of help them and spread the spread the word about their their quality uh, craftsmanship, and also you know improve certain aspects. Uh, uh, exactly to the way I wanted them to be. So fast forward to 2009, uh, I was back in Singapore, just graduated from uh, University in London. And um, I, 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 I discovered that Chinese watches existed uh, for the first time. Prior to that, I had no idea there was such a thing as a, a properly Chinese watch. I mean, obviously, I know that some watches are made in China, but to have a properly Chinese brand with a distinctive Chinese design. I had no idea that existed. And so I bought my first uh, Chinese watch. It was a seagull um, skeleton piece, a very modest piece, nothing to write home about. But it was interesting and it was um, great quality and uh, arguably good finishing for the money. It was probably about 200 US dollars all in with shipping and uh, couldn't complain about that. And uh, so I wore that for a couple of years and it served me well, even though it was gold plated, but the plating never wore off. You know, you, even up to now, I, I still have it. So around 2012, my, my sister uh, said, you know, could, could, could I buy the same watch for her? And the um, thing about me is that when I, when I go shopping for something online, I would research the heck out of it. So that's probably quite common among among a lot of your viewer, a lot of your um, your listeners as well. Uh, I, I I would just have this face about Chinese watches, and I would research everything about it. And I thought it was a shame that um, a lot of the modern, the contemporary Chinese watches lack the distinctive design and and the charm of the, the vintage Chinese watches, which again, I had no idea existed until 2012, uh, that, that China actually had this entire, uh, about five decades of indigenous, uh, indigenous indigenously developed and designed um, uh, tradition. So I thought, you know, I, I, I contacted Seagull, I contacted Beijing, and I did a fair bit of research. And, um, I wanted to produce my own my own well run of custom made watches basically because by then I had some experience in 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 producing thing, things bespoke 
uh, from clothing, from you know men's accessories and stuff. And I thought, you know, I I I want to have the watches done exactly to my tastes and my um, quality expectations as well. So, so I contacted them. I went to Tianjin to visit the Seagull factory. Very modern, very beautiful. I went to Beijing to visit the old Beijing factory, which is completely different. It's 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 right out of a time capsule from the nineteen fifties, and um, and and that's where I started um, my first run of watches. So originally it was two runs. It was two models: the Premier and the Imperial. Uh, they were meant to be at two different price points. The Premier was made by Seagull, and the Imperial would be made by Beijing Watch Factory. Um, at the last minute, Seagull had a bit of a movement shortage crisis. So, so I was quite happy that I had also visited Beijing, which, which originally I had planned to sort of keep in the wings as a reserve for perhaps later on in the year. But uh, that then became my my primary project. So I created the first run. Um, the first prototype came in 2013, just before Watches and Wonders in, in Hong Kong, actually. I, I distinctly recall that because I, I was so happy the prototype came in time. I, you know, I brought it with me to Hong Kong and wore it to all the Watches and Wonders events. And uh, I was quite, quite proud of it. I mean, to see something that you design come to fruition and and manifest itself in front of you you know on your wrist i mean that's just that's just amazing really so well, what um, was the um design like what was, what was the, the selling point of that watch that the first watch that came out of beijing factory well I, 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 personally i think the the main selling point is the design but also the quality i mean quality to me is a given really you know everything i make everything i produce i design should be the best possible quality for the price, uh, if not multiple times over. But the main thing there was the design. So it was about a thousand US dollar watch, and um, it had a, it had Chinese characters on the dial. It had uh, a beautiful plum blossom guilloche, which was uh, inspired by the uh, Seagull Wu Yi from nineteen fifty eight, and uh, it had a lot of vintage Chinese references. Which you would not see in a in a modern Chinese watch from other brands, uh, so 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 I wanted to bring those back, and uh, I put all those in in my first watch, the Imperial. Uh, I wanted to have a very purist, refined, elegant design. Um, the problem with modern Chinese watches is that they're either complete ripoffs of Swiss or German designs, which is a complete shame, or they are a bit too chinzy, perhaps a bit too tacky, which is also a shame, you know. So and 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 that there exists uh, indigenous Chinese design. So why do we need to copy someone else or reinvent the wheel in a bad way? I have a question. Uh, both of you guys can answer. It just helps me understand, like how men spend money and where they put their money, right? If you talk about um, like you have been customizing a lot of things, so I'm guessing like suits and uh, shoes, uh, there's a lot of things you can actually customize for men, right? And even if you don't customize a suit, just getting a suit made, you're spending 
I would say minimum around 10k USD. Like, correct me if I'm wrong. Like a really good one. Really good. Well, Chiffonelli is about yeah. six, I, six, eight, seven. I, I would say ten. I would say 10k USD is probably at the top end of the range, yeah. and you definitely don't need to spend that much. I mean, I, I I personally don't spend that much for most of my everyday suits. Okay. Um, obviously, if you go to several. Yeah. I'm I'm not too familiar with current prices, but back when I was in London, um, you could get a, a suit from Henry Poole or Anderson and Shepherd for about two thousand four hundred pounds. Okay. And then if you take off VAT from that, that's you know that's uh, even less. Okay. And I think at the top end it was Huntsman or DJ Skinner for okay. several. Uh, the Italian suit makers are a bit more expensive. The the French ones are the most expensive. And then now you've got the Japanese as well, uh, Florentine. Uh, Liverano's uh, mm -hmm. on the, yep. the high end of the of the price scale, and then you've got bespoke shoes as well, which are a bit less expensive. And shirts are, uh, you know, shirts shirts are in the hundreds really. They okay. they they don't go above a thousand generally. Yeah. And then okay. you've got. Uh, I mean, I, I had bespoke everything done. I, I've I have bespoke handkerchiefs, yeah. bespoke underwear, bespoke. Uh, I've tried braces before, but I mean that was a bit too much. <laughs> based on so, like, so, okay, so say we're saying like uh, based on yeah. like two thousand, let's say two thousand USD, right? Yeah. Um, okay. My question is more about like, wouldn't men spend more money on the watch? Because you're saying one piece is about a thousand, right? So why didn't you create yeah. something that's about five thousand? So it's a little bit of a reach, but then it's still like um, something that someone can save up and potentially get. Oh, I absolutely wanted to. I mean, from the beginning, I had the the great desire to create very high end watches. Um, but the problem was that I was quite limited by what was available at the time. So if if you recall with Celadon, I wanted to create a a truly proudly 100% Chinese watch. Mm. And so I was limited by the available movements, uh, which basically is just Beijing and Seagull at that point, and mm. uh, less, less now so even. So, and they tend to be inexpensive movements. They're, they do have some high-end movements, but they are quite unreliable. And uh, in terms of finishing, they're probably not up to par with um, what they try to charge. Mm. So my intention at that point was to was to work with what I had. Um, obviously, I, you know, I didn't have the experience, I didn't have the financial wherewithal to create my own movement from scratch. Although that was my eventual goal, uh, which is something that I'm I'm doing right now with uh, with Master Lin Yonghua, uh, creating my own movement. Um, but at that point, I you know I just worked with what I what I had access to, uh, and 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 that was basically what was available. Mm -hmm. So yeah, no, I, I would have loved to create a hundred thousand US dollar Saladon watch, but uh, and I will down the line. But ten years ago, that probably wasn't in my capability, or you know even even possible with with the time and the finances available. Mm -hmm. And also, it's probably also due to the market as well, right, Ben? We, exactly. we talked about this, like, you know, although you wanted the watch that was purely Chinese and you'd be willing exactly. to pay, are there enough people that would be, because the the prejudices towards Chinese watches are exactly. very, very high. But, you know, at 5K, very, people would look very. at what Swiss watches you can get and then just go, well, most, like, 10 out, 
almost 10 out of 10, they're going to go Swiss, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, even, is, even at the one K mark, you know, I had the same uh, problems, you know, with, 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 with people being prejudiced, but I just learned that those that are going to be prejudiced are just simply not, not going to buy it. So it's fine. I mean, you sell to the people who appreciate your work, you know, and um, I'm fortunate that enough people appreciate my work. I mean, I'm not churning out a million watches a year, so it's completely fine. I don't need the whole world to, to, uh, love my watches. I mean, I would love that. I don't think it's possible. I mean, you do want to polarize to an extent, um, but but I've always emphasized craftsmanship and artisanal quality, and that's not going to be in huge volume. So it's fine with me. So with no experience in this field, you made this watch. What were your primary routes of sale and how many did you sell? I don't know if you can disclose that, but roughly how many did you actually sell? And what was the, I actually praise you before you answer. I actually praise you because to go out there to sell a Chinese watch with the passion you did. Yeah. And to basically have to sit there and I saw it, you know, firsthand, um, (laughs) people poo-pooing you and people just trying to take, take down your product and everything. Um, uh, It takes a very thick skin to do that. Um, So I applaud you for that. Thank you. But, thank yeah, you. If you could tell, if you could tell us, like, how did you start selling that watch with no experience at all, and how many did you actually sell? Was it a success? So I, I do think it was a success. I mean, obviously, success is relative, and um, especially at the price point that I sold them at, which is quite high for a Chinese watch of that caliber. I mean, you know, a thousand US dollars, you could buy a a nice long jeans or Tissot or you know a, a Stoa perhaps or an entry-level Nomos, but for someone to buy a, a Chinese brand, no less, and one they've never heard of from someone they've never met halfway across the world, I mean, I have such tremendous appreciation and gratitude for those early supporters that that uh, stood by me and, and, and put their faith in me. So um, going to your question, in, in the first run in 2013, I created... 100 watches so there were 50 of the red imperial and 50 of the uh, blanc de chine which is the off-white one the ivory colored one and they were both the plum blossom gyoshi uh, both sold out within a year i mean that's probably quite slow by today's standards but back in 2012 2013 that was amazing i mean especially for well it was amazing for me anyway i mean having zero experience in business or anything I mean, I was trained in the law, so so business to me is like, you know, a different language. And um, I, I had set out not to create a business to begin with. It was just to create something that I wanted to wear, and other people loved it. They asked if they could buy it, and I decided, hey, you know, I mean, I'd love to share this with other like-minded folks as well. So that's how it, it, it began. Okay, so then... If I'm right, yeah, you don't speak Mandarin, do you? Um, I I do. I would like to think so. It's a bit bad. It's more or less self-taught. And I come from a school in Singapore, which is famous for having bad um, Mandarin, uh, the standard of Mandarin, I guess. Can I, can I take a wild guess? Is it on Dover Road? <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah, you, my you, neighbor. You well. <laughs> <laughs> really? Are you from... Uh, I'm from the underwear washing company next door. (laughs) 
Oh right, right. I have fond memories of the <laughs> of the college next door. Yes. <laughs> no, but those were wonderful times. I mean, I think it's the unique historical context of Singapore that kind of denigrates Mandarin speakers in a way. Um, well, it is what it is, but um, you know, I guess I tried to make up for lost time by rediscovering my Chinese roots, ironically in London first, um, and then deciding to go to Shanghai back in, I think, 2008, when it was still more or less the wild, wild west, um, and, and learning, you know, Chinese myself. And, and I think if my Chinese teacher back then could see me now using it, using the language daily for both business and socially, I think she would, she would be super surprised. So, I mean, that's one of the benefits of starting my brand, I guess, you know, learning Chinese. Yeah, because this is, this is something that, you know, I think is very uh, important to highlight. You were, uh, the way I would gauge you, and I don't mean this disrespectful, but you are conversationalist at best, probably. Uh, for Chinese, you mean? Yeah, for Chinese, yeah, at the time, like at least I like can... two, three years ago. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not even sure if I'm good at that that conversation yeah, exactly you know? yeah so that's yeah. what i'm saying like you were contacting yeah. these factories which are completely local run oh, yeah? like super. you yeah. know you, you have the language barrier and you have the cultural barrier that yeah. you, i know you embrace yeah. that and all but yeah. that is a very tricky um yeah road to go to go into but yeah. that is just one thing that i admire you about but what things did you learn quickly about business or doing the Chinese business way, when you did your first project with Maison Saladon and that first watch? Well, this this would take probably a long podcast to explicate upon. But I mean, what what you you mentioned the cultural differences. I mean, I might add that even in China, uh, you know, in different provinces, there are quite significant cultural differences yes. and also you know linguistic differences with the dialect and everything. And even though they may all speak Mandarin, I mean, the accent, the Beijing accent. <laughs> I mean, especially for like Master Xiong, the enameler, his accent is quite thick. So it's quite tricky to understand. And don't forget that the Beijing accent is really one of the most um, uh, proper uh, Mandarin accents. So if you go to Shanghai, I mean, uh, working with the Sucho artisans which, who are from the, the same uh, dialect region, it's, it's also quite tricky. But I mean, that's part of the beauty of life, isn't it? You, you learn things and... You grow in experience, and um, and and it's just part of the rich tapestry of, of 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 life and 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 doing business, really. You know, so that's been a, a huge benefit, like having such people to people connections. I definitely prefer working with an artisan face to face rather than a big company like, say, Seagull, which is a huge SOE, a state owned enterprise. I mean, it's a it's a completely different kettle of fish. So, I mean, other things that I've learned in business quickly probably would be in in china there seems to be different chinese terms for for you know technical uh, objects and everyone uses different terms so it is just crazy trying to explain something so the best thing is just use pictures because for example like um i struggle to think of an example but maybe something like a balance we oh okay bragging overcoil for example everyone uses a different term in chinese it's impossible to, it's pointless as well to use one person's Chinese term to say to another. So the best thing is just use pictures, really. Mm. 
And okay. also, it's also the standard of execution. So say you tell someone you want this and they say, okay, we can do it. But can they do it well? That's the other problem. So when it comes out, it's like, you know, kind of half-baked. And then, again, that's probably a, a cultural difference as well. Like perhaps in in in, in certain other countries, they might approach it in a different way. Like if they can't do it to a to a ninety percent level, they probably wouldn't do it. In China, they probably try to please you as a customer, and they try to do it, but they may not do it well. So for better or for yeah. worse, that's the way yeah. it is. Yeah, yeah. There's always that trying to suss out whether they really have the true capacity to execute. Exactly. As to, because everybody says that they can do everything, but exactly, yeah. like sometimes they just want to get the the order in and exactly, and, yeah, and and yeah. also because some clients you know may not have the same standards right and actually what they produce may be actually enough to get away with as well you, you know, hit the nail on the head i mean you know not to brag but it seems that i'm the only one with high standards among all the suppliers that i work with like all of them complain that you know the standards i ask for are almost impossible to to achieve but you know i keep pushing them and we just try our best to hit it you know so yeah but you do mention something. I know you're really passionate about like China and Chinese culture, um, which was about Chinese brands. Like, what do you think um, prevents Chinese brands from being taken seriously? Like, I'm talking about watch brands um, yeah. within the community. Like, what is your uh, understanding of the manufacture, the execution? And maybe you can touch on, you know, Swiss watches and how it compares to that. Um yeah, what's your understanding of that? Why do you think that they fail to capture, you know, a more significant market share? So I think there are a couple of factors here. One is they lack a sort of unified um, approach to business strategy. And, and, and it's very helter-skelter. Uh, and then if, if they find a strategy doesn't work, they change management. And then they go completely the other way. And it's also bad. So perhaps... It's a bit of design by committee, only in this case, it's business strategy by committee and a pretty bad committee. I mean, the strategies they employ may work in China. They probably don't work um, overseas or in Southeast Asia even. And the other thing is that they try to sell try to sell Chinese watches, which are, well, they try to market them as luxury, but sell them as, 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 as cheap crap, basically, you know, which is which is, again, um, a symptom of the helter-skelter approach to the strategy. Uh, I think a major factor also is the design or the lack lack of it, which is you know one of the main reasons why I wanted to start my brand and, and create my own Chinese watches, because they just lacked a coherent design language. I mean, the, the, the notion of a design language is just completely absent you know, from their vocabulary. It's just let's rip off what the Swiss or Germans are doing, which, which is just a shame, you know. I mean, you've done the technical part, which is the hard part. Why are you being? Why are you letting down the watches on the design front, you know? Which which should be easier, you know. I I think maybe it's easier it the way I, I I don't know. It probably requires different because stuff, like you know? the reason why. Sorry, I interject, yeah. but. Yeah. You know, a lot of people judge a watch by its style and design more than the movement yeah. these days. And a lot of people will buy a watch because of the brand, which is the marketing side. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's probably a matter of price range. 
I think if you go above 10k US, I mean, you're definitely caring about the technical uh, aspects of the watch. Yeah. I think design and brand probably plays a, a bigger factor under 5k, under 3k maybe. Um, but but I love design, so maybe to me it's it just comes naturally. Like I just see things. Um, so you know, I just lament the fact that, that why 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 do they have to do it this way? You know. So I just can't take it. I, I have to create my own watches. And it's not just watches. I mean, I kind of have this bug for everything. Like I use something or I'm, I'm at a hotel and I think I could just design this better, you know? And sometimes yeah. I actually do go ahead and, 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 and design something better, you know? <laughs> yeah, because, you know, that, that's funny you mentioned that. It's kind of my next question, which was along this journey. And when I knew you, you'd already kind of set up a, a polo, like, clothing business and then also yeah. a caviar business um yeah. yeah what was this kind of like was this just you spraying to see what would stick <laughs> or you know what was behind or were you not why were you not focusing on just watches basically and why were you like pulling yourself left right and everywhere I don't think it was spraying as such and I don't think it was either it was a lack of focus either um I mean you know, Celadon watches in general were always my my baby, but I have quite a lot of passions, for better or for worse. Most of them are, are not cheap passions, so I always want to. Yeah, well, <laughs> a matter of perspective, really. You know, <laughs> so so I try to. It, it's it's a matter of quality control in a way. Like for caviar, I could never find caviar that I I really liked. And when I found one that was good, I wanted to further improve it. And I thought, you know, I could do something in this space and uh, create my own caviar, primarily for, for my own consumption, really. You know, <laughs> same with watches as well, you know, uh, how it started. So for the polos as well, I mean, I, at that point, I wanted high-quality polos. I couldn't find any. And I wanted them custom-made to my uh, dimensions and my specifications, couldn't find any that uh, lived up. Did my research, couldn't find any. So I went ahead and just made it. And, you know, it's not it's not easy, you know, like uh, producing custom-made anything, uh, you know, even amounting to producing your own brand for that thing. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of money as well. It's a lot of groundwork, like meeting um, suppliers and sussing them out if they can deliver. It's a lot of work. So, I mean, obviously, I can't do that with everything. But for the things that matter, um, you know, I, I try to make it happen. So okay. I think the polo shirt business back then was, uh, I called it Paladin Polo. Uh, that was in 2014 when I tried a few other businesses. Uh, and then the caviar was called Bijou Caviar. Bijou is French for uh, jewelry. Uh, that was in 2016. Uh, it started in earnest in 2017. So the caviar brand is on hold. I mean, you know, I've, I've, I've not. Um, I've you consumed not, all of it, have you? Well, I have consumed most of my current uh, stock. What's that term they brand. use for, uh, for for drug dealers? Like, I'm proud to say that I've completely flouted that rule <laughs> for, for the caviar. <laughs> Hey, you know, you know, caviar probably costs about the same uh, per gram as um, as heroin, I think, uh, or was it some other drug? But but yeah, it's pretty expensive, even wholesale. I wouldn't know what the price of heroin is. 
<laughs> I mean, yeah, well, from what I've read anyway, you know, from what I've heard. <laughs> and I bet I bet I bet you were like convincing yourself that the caviar shelf life was limited and that's why you had to eat it or something. It, it actually is. It actually is. I didn't have to do much convincing. But because I don't <laughs> use borax, I don't use preservatives. So so my particular caviar is has has quite a short shelf life. And you know, most people don't know, but caviar is actually seasonal. So the best caviar should be had, you know, in the colder seasons. So, I mean, uh, uh, most people don't know that uh, because most brands put borax, uh, which is a sort of preservative, which is actually bad for you. Um, so my caviar, I get it fresh from the farm and it's top notch. And uh, I, I tried to lift my breath. I read somewhere that the Emperor Kangxi or was it Qianlong had caviar every day. Uh, for his life, and, and you know, he lived to a, a ripe old age um, by Chinese emperor standards. So I, I, I did a four-month experiment where I had a, a tin of caviar every day for four months, and uh, I can probably report that I'm probably going to live to a <laughs> hundred or something, hopefully. No, but but you you don't get sick of it. I got to tell you that. So <laughs> so if anyone's um, planning on extending their life, um, I recommend I recommend Bijou caviar. And <laughs> as if at any point you needed any more convincing to eat more of anything. <laughs> you know, like... I don't need any convincing. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I like to try different foods, you know, not more, you know, necessarily. <laughs> right. But I want to um, move on to um, what I kind of saw as your next venture, knowing you as yeah. a friend, which yeah. was uh, Millicim, okay, yeah. which was another yeah. watch brand. Yeah. Why, you know, you've done Maison Saladon. Yeah. Why a new watch brand? So I get this question quite a lot, actually. And all these brands are basically kind of, well, expressions of my personal tastes, I guess, you know. And I love Chinese culture. I love Chinese antiques. I love Chinese watches, uh, which are the expressions of, 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 well, my interpretation of Chinese history and art. But I also love, like, you know, elegant mid-century design in almost everything, in cars, in furniture, in, 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 in vintage watches, obviously, in pens, you know. And, and I thought, I, I, you know, I, well, it started from a very simple thing, really. I wanted to wear elegant vintage watches. I have, I have a few, but they're not very wearable in, in, in the Singapore climate, which is very hot, very humid, you know, there's a lot of moisture, uh, any leather strap just gets soaked and you probably don't want to wear one anyway. So so I wanted, and, and, and I'm a bit of a clean freak, so I wash my hands a lot. Uh, so I wanted something that was robust, relatively waterproof. I, I, you know, I didn't have to baby too much because I like to, I like to properly wear my watches. I don't want to, I don't want to just wear them for like special occasions. There's no fun in that. So, so I wanted to create something that had the look of a vintage watch, um, but with better quality and, and, and almost kind of fantasy vintage, as I call it, where you blend certain design elements that, that didn't exist together at the time, but, you know, look nice, uh, blended together. For example, like a sector dial, but colored. I mean, I don't think they actually existed in, the vintage, in, in actual vintage pieces, but I think they look pretty good um, created right now. So, and I, I wanted to use better quality as well, because I mean, vintage watches are great, but many times uh, the movements, I mean, some are a bit, a bit nondescript. Uh, some, some of the, 
some of the crystals or the crowns could be improved, either in quality or robustness or design. So that, that's sort of what I wanted to do with Millicene. And then I realized that Millicene was a bit too generic a name, so I renamed it Millicron. Uh, and then that, that coincided with a, a sort of repositioning to a more serious approach. So the Cron stands for chronometry. So Millicene, it's, it's French for vintage. Uh, why do we keep using French? Well, to honor the Swiss-French roots of the watches and the, the design language and the movements as well. Um, Millezime in French specifically refers to a really good year in, in, in Champagne. And, you know, Champagne and wine are also one of my very expensive vices. So I, I love uh, vintage Champagne. And um, whenever a house... Uh, releases uh, a vintage champagne, it would have to be from a good year. Otherwise, it's not worth releasing. So that's kind of what I wanted to do. I wanted to choose the good year, so to speak, from the vintage watches, all the greats that have existed before, take the best elements that I thought you know I could find from them, blend them and infuse them with better quality, better movements, and then create something you know, better, but still retaining the same mid-century vibes and beautiful, elegant design. Okay. And so that's gone for you. So I just want to play devil's advocate here, right? And sure. I'm just going to say something. I'm not saying I believe it, but sure. a lot of cynics would say, could say, you know, hang on a minute, Maison Celadon, you're into this Chinese culture and Chinese, you know, you love China. Then why the hell is the name not Chinese and you've gone for a French name, right? Number one. And then number two, is it the fact that, you know, Maison Celadon as a Chinese watch was such a hard sell to the market that you thought, you know what? I do need to go back to that European just for the marketing sake to convince buyers that maybe it's that and then maybe I could sell more watches. I, I don't say, like I said, I just want to underline, I don't necessarily believe that, but sure. I just want to put that in there because people in the audience might actually think that. Well, great questions. And, you know, I, I love to answer difficult questions because, I mean, why not, right? You're hearing from the horse's mouth. Um, with regards to the second question, did you mean uh, using the Maison Saladon, the French name specifically, like like in order to appeal to a sort of European kind of... No, um, like... So you launched Millicene, right? Which isn't yeah. Maison Saladon. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, it doesn't have that Chinese necessarily, yeah. that whole movement side and, and, and that you're not completely Chinese, right? Yeah. And is it the yeah. fact that you wanted to dilute that because you thought you had a better chance of selling the watches? Well, no, no, no. I mean, um, if I understood your your question correctly, Millicene back then and uh, Millicron now, it's, it's not... Chinese at all. I mean, uh, the design language, the style is all mid-century Swiss, basically. Uh, the best, I, I, I think the best wristwatches were made in the 50s and 60s, and most of them came from Switzerland, uh, some from Germany, but I think, you know, I think Swiss designs tend to be a bit more elegant, which is where I veer to. So I wanted to capture that sort of um, zeitgeist, really, you know, for, for, for Millicron. Um, why I chose a French name, Maison Saladon, for my Chinese brand. I mean, I, I, it does have a Chinese name. It's called Siu Chuin Tang. But obviously, most people in the West are going to have a hard time spelling it, pronouncing it. So, I mean, why would I want to make their life difficult, you know? 
I mean, it's a bit like um, you know, Beijing Watch Factory, right? We could we could write the Chinese characters, but there's nothing wrong with having an English translation or English name. Um, and and I think the the roots of the name itself are, are quite illuminating. I mean, why I chose Celadon as a name? Celadon, first of all, I mean, I love tea, so so and, and I love teaware as well. And Celadon is a beautiful sort of material for teaware. It is silky smooth. It is beautiful to touch, beautiful to look at. It is thick and robust, but it is almost crystalline in appearance. You know, it's like looking at a glass lake. And it's so beautiful. It, it, it gains a rich patina over the centuries, over the over the years. You know, you see the crackling, and and it's just completely unique to you. And so, in 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 the seventeen hundreds, the eighteen hundreds, a lot of Chinese porcelain, uh, both the blue and white sort and the celadon sort, uh, went to Europe and was highly appreciated in in in, in Europe. And that's kind of what I wanted to do. I mean, I wanted to take all these unknown um arts if you were you know from china and kind of revive them and 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 let the world know that hey we've still got all these beautiful things here uh, but and and also kind of modernize the designs uh, for a contemporary audience so that's that's kind of the rationale behind the name celadon uh, of course celadon has a chinese name which is called qingzi it comes from longtren in uh, zhejiang province um, but again, I mean, I think it makes sense to have an English name for the foreign audience. Obviously, we do have a Chinese name. Anyone is welcome to use it. Um, how Maison Celadon started as a name? It, the name originally was actually Celadon, but the Maison was tacked on as like, like um, some people started using it. And then it was kind of like how you would say, okay, uh, the Maison MS or the Maison Chanel. And they kind of kind of stuck as part of the name itself. And then um, later on, when I decided to start the high horology uh, division of Celadon, I thought, okay, we'll have two different names to delineate the two different lines because there is quite a large gap in terms of the positioning, the price point, the ambitiousness of the execution. So I think it was important. It, it was crucial to divide the brand into these two different lines. You know, they were quite distinct. Uh, I have a question, but first up, I just want to say I've never heard anyone talk about teaware like <laughs> with that passion. <laughs> so that's the whole episode a... of him talking about teaware and teacups. If you would like to listen, <laughs> but um, I could do it for ten I more need, hours. <laughs> I need to. Um, it's one of the questions actually, but I do really want to know. European brands, Swiss brands, what do you actually like? Because I can't even imagine like we grew up in the same country, exposed to the same kind of brands, like very limited back then, like what we had. Everything was through Hourglass, through Sincere and whatever was in there, right? So what did you like? What were you drawn to? Even vintage pieces, uh, just what are some of the references? So I can kind of at least see like where did your taste yeah. from? Where did it evolve to? I love speaking about this subject. You know, I was just thinking about it just now, just thinking about uh, what I would say. And um, I mean, I started off borrowing pieces from my from my dad. And I think one of the early ones he gave me, which I liked, was uh, an IWC uh, Titan chronograph with a moon face. And one thing, it was a Porsche design uh, co-branded watch. 
So one thing I loved about it was the well, the titanium material. It was so light, it was comfortable. And I I wore this every day at school when I was, I think, I think I was 15 years old back then. I loved the moon phase. It was so beautiful. And so that kind of stuck with me. You know, I still love moon faces. I still love titanium. And I'm going to be using all that in a very, you know, a pretty ambitious project, which is coming quite soon, mm-hmm. um, but done to the nth level. And, um, you know, and I, I loved it. It was, it was so sleek. It was so beautiful. So so my tastes tend to run towards the, the elegant, the understated, the sleek. I don't like oversized cases, you know, uh, vis-a-vis the movement. I don't, I don't want something that's like a huge... A cookie on your wrist, you know, so to speak. So I mean, other watches that I that I that I love. I mean, I love Vacheron Constantin as a brand, you know, uh, both the contemporary and the vintage. I mean, I think they throw the best parties, they throw the best events, and uh, no, I, I love them as a brand as well. Uh, I love their watches. Most of the vintage Vacherons with the ten o three movement, uh, the AP with the twenty o three, the ultra thin movement is all basically derived from the same caliber i mean i love those elegant two-hand watches so i mean when i create my own millicron dress pieces it's kind of heavily inspired by that sort of aesthetic you know they're very simple but elegant as well Mm. Uh, like there's something distinctive about it so it's not like it's not like a daniel wellington there's something about it that marks it out as sublime you know and I think that's the essential trait that 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 you 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 need in a in a watch that's truly exceptional. Mm. So, and I love JLC as well. And I recently did a bit of a stock take of my collection, and I realized that I have really interesting JLC pieces. I have a couple vintage wristwatches. I have um, a Reverso, which uh, I think Dan you you might know. It is the Casa Pagliano nineteen thirty one tribute, the US edition. So I've seen you post about that a couple of times. Um, oh, you've got the, the, the ultra-thin with the special yeah. hands. Yeah, exactly. Limited to 100 pieces. And with the uh, special leather yeah. as well. Yeah, that's right. The, the, I think you it was part of the, Yeah, 2012. I bought it from the Beverly Hills boutique. So, I mean, I love it. Ah, uh, you are lucky. Yeah. <laughs> now it's worth like like three times what I paid yeah, for it. So. Yeah, it's... Uh... Very yeah. special piece. You'll have to show me. That one comes with yeah, um, syringe hands as opposed exactly. to the yeah. With the Fortina loom, the the, the yeah. full patina uh, loom hands. And I, I remember back in 2012, I was deciding between that and the Reversal Rouge. And back then, I did have the money to, to get both. So I, I went with the uh, US edition. Uh, but I wish I got the Rouge as well. It's so beautiful, you know? And, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's one of my favorite contemporary JLCs. I've got, I recently bought a JLC dashboard clock from a Bugatti Type 35 car, which is like the most random thing ever. And then I had it sent to my friend Alessandro Rigotto, who is an AHCI clockmaker. Uh, I work with him on several projects, uh, the Celestial Infinity Astronomical Clock. So he's restoring that little dashboard clock for me. I mean, it's just for fun, you know? And uh, I have some uh, vintage Atmos clocks as well, some modern ones. Um, what, what was it? The travel clock. I've got the red leather uh, JLC travel clock, the, the the little folding one. 
recently I bought three vintage IWCs, you know? So I, I, I think 1950s, 60s IWCs are just beautiful. And I mean, they are in-house calibers back then. The, the Peloton movement, the caliber 89. So quite different from the current offering, you know? And, uh, you know, about vintage VCs, APs, I mean, that that's that's my some of my favorites, really. Um, contemporary watches, I mean, I love the, the Royal Oak Jumbo. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to say I got a 15202 before it was unobtainium. Um, couple, I, I also obviously love uh, patronizing uh, bespoke uh, watchmakers, you know, I mean, like the, literally the one-man artisan shows. So recently I got a Felipe Pikuluk, if I pronounce his name correctly, German chap from Berlin, I think. And then I got a Thomas Steller, which is, uh, he took a vintage long jeans movement and created a, a modern watch around it, quite pretty. And then, um, yeah, no, a couple, couple other pieces um, in the works. So can't wait to review them. I mean, the line is really blurred between, you know, my brand stuff and my own personal stuff sometimes. I mean, I think the best way to look at it is that it's all just stuff that I love, you know, and, and some of it is, I guess it's for sale. And some of it isn't, it's just for me, really, you know, so. <laughs> yeah, like, before we do go on to your latest and most famous, probably, watch, um, I'm going to ask a question that, sure. you know, maybe some of the listeners will think, oh, Dan, that, you sound like a dick for asking that. But, <laughs> no, no, no. But I think, it, I think, um, I do think, like, there'll be some of the audience maybe even thinking this, right? And obviously, like I said, I've known you for quite a few years, so I know what you like, but what would you say if someone said, oh, you know, Ben's just actually this super rich kid that can afford to, um, you know, afford to have all these luxuries, caviar, vintage champagne, you know, tea and all of this kind of stuff. And he's just dabbled in, um, in watches. And do you know what? He has got the money. He has got the money to, 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 to make this happen. So it wasn't that hard, you know. What would you say to that? You know, Dan, I am really glad you answered you asked this question because it's something that I I feel that a lot of people have this huge misconception about me. I mean that they think that I I come from tremendous wealth or something, which is not the case. I mean, you know, if I can go a bit into my own personal family history, I mean, I grew up in a relatively affluent environment. Um, but at age twenty, my my family lost most of its most of their money. So um, you know, we went from quite okay to having to live a much more modest lifestyle. And uh, sadly, at a time when I was kind of coming of age as well, well, you know, it's good and bad. But uh, it was quite difficult having to adjust to more modest means then, when you know I was accustomed to like nice things before that, and then. You know, when I started my, well, entrepreneurial journey, so to speak, I mean, I had this road laid out for me that was so clear, you know, like to be a lawyer and just just, just live a nice, comfortable lifestyle. But it, it kind of struck me to take the road less traveled. I mean, even to, to study in London back then, it was kind of the road less traveled, uh, in my opinion, because I, I had a nice, cushy place in in the local, you know, NUS University for law, and and that's also pretty uh, prestigious, and 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 it would have been a lot less expensive, a lot less bother. But I thought, you know, this is kind of the chance of a lifetime to to travel and to live overseas and to study overseas. And I thought, 
you know I, I I shouldn't squander this this golden opportunity and and you know years after that I decided I would, I would go to Shanghai again that was kind of the road less travel because I had I had an opportunity as well to to do an internship in New York but I chose Shanghai instead I thought you know I could reconnect with my roots I could and it's kind of like the wild wild west so so it's like a new frontier it was more interesting and then uh, you know the road less traveled after that was to go into entrepreneurship instead of of, of a nice comfortable uh, legal career and i i had a offer of a training contract from the most prestigious firm in singapore at the time from the managing partner himself and no it wasn't connections it was just i guess it was just him you know taking a liking to me i spoke to him a lot and we just got along, you know. So I guess I've really been blessed in a way. Um, but when I started this journey, I mean, I I I did not have unlimited spending, you know, uh, resources to work with. I mean, in fact, it was very limited. I mean, to to start the run with uh, Seagull and Beijing, that was a five figure outlay, and you know, it was a lot of money for me at the time. Uh, and in 2014, I mean, you know, just now I said I always had the dream to create truly high-end watches, high horology watches. So in 2014, I contacted one of the AHCI master watchmakers, and we got to a, you know, we 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 started talking about creating high-end watches. And back then, also with another more industrial maker. Um, but but I, I after. After discussing a bit further, after going to meet them at SIHH in 2014, I realized that, you know, I didn't have the experience, I didn't have the the money, the 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 the, the time uh, needed to to create these uh, to create the watches that I wanted to create with them. You know, I mean, it would have taken one or two years at least. It would have taken a seven figure, a high six figure, low seven figure investment. I mean, I mean, that was just way beyond my wherewithal at the time. It still is quite a lot for me right now. So, so I mean, at every stage, it's been challenging. You know, it's I've always had to work with limited resources. Even even now, I mean, right now I am super stretched because you know, right now we're growing and we're quite successful, but. Because of that, we are, shall we say, we're taking off. So we need a lot of jet fuel. So I, I, I'm constantly having to find ways to raise money to 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 feed the machine, so to speak. So I mean, it's definitely not been, uh, you know, me walking on silk and having 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 everything handed to me on a silver platter. I mean, it's it's completely the other way. There have been so many sleepless nights, you know, so many um, so many nights I've been just sitting alone in my room thinking how am i gonna make this payment how am i gonna you know why why can't we sell more you know i mean is it, even though we sold out the first run in the first year you know there, there's there's always been challenges after that you know it's it's definitely not been easy and of course i've made mistakes i've pivoted from the mistakes uh i you know i've tried to learn what i can from them so i never i try never to waste something you know I, I i consider it tuition money so so i mean I, I i do believe that every step of the way has led me this far and everything that i've gone through has made me into the person that i'm today and and hopefully has given me business insights and you know uh, insights into life you know in general 
And I mean, I've had so many people, be it partners, be it employees, they've, they've you know, let me down countless times. They've betrayed me. They've taken my money. They've run away. I mean, suppliers as well, you know. Uh, so it's it's definitely been challenging. But I, I, I do think that you learn something from all that. And uh, I'm quite happy that uh, maybe I've lost a five-figure sum here, but that would have saved me losing a six-figure or seven-figure sum down the line. So right now, I'm quite happy about that, I guess. Well, that's a, that's a very good answer, Ben, I have to say. Um, Thank you. Thank you. And I was thinking when you, you said you had sleep, when you had uh, sleepless nights, you definitely didn't have nights where you didn't eat well, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> right? Well, <laughs> you always ate well. If you, it could be like uh, cup noodles or something, but uh, I, I tried to... I tried to fill my belly, you know. You know me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I, like I, I have a lot of fun with Ben, and the reason why I, I, I say that is because when I go for a meal with Ben, he's the kind of guy that orders two mains. <laughs> <laughs> Just two? Come on! No, and then you take some of mine. <laughs> I, I tried to over deliver, you know. So, <laughs> right. I, I, um, I like a abundance in general. Right. Let's talk about um, BCHH and sure. Anderson Genev. How did BCHH come by and how did the collaboration with Anderson Genev come by and why did you pick the World Timer as the, the watch? So I mentioned my dream to create high horology pieces from the very beginning of my journey, you know, way back in, in 2013, 2014. Um, but I... I I, I decided that I, I needed to gain more experience and also more well financial resources to to really go into it in earnest. So around 2019, I decided, okay, now it's now is the time. And um, at first, my 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 vision perhaps was a bit more well modest, perhaps you know. I wanted to create more uh, well enamel dial watches, but with a simple time only movement. And then I realized that we need to do better than this. The, the simple off-the-rack time-only movement is not going to cut it. So we need, to have a, we need to have a bespoke movement from a top watchmaker. And who better than the AHCI, you know, to, to, to find top watchmakers. So I went, to the, I went to the AHCI website. I looked at all the people that I could contact. And I thought, who would be a good fit for me? And then uh, Sven Anderson was one of them. So I contacted him and we we talked on the phone. This was around March 2020, I think. Um and and and, and we kind of clicked. We got along. You know, uh, I spoke to his uh business partner, uh Pierre Alexon Ashliman, who is the co-owner of Anderson Genève. And we, you know, we really clicked, you know. I mean, you know how you you know how they say when you buy a watch, you buy the seller, not the watch. In this case, it's kind of Kind of the same thing. You you buy the watchmaker, so to speak, you know. And and I I think that relationship. Sure it wasn't the vintage champagne. <laughs> <laughs> that could have that could have played a part. And you know, I told you champagne's a good investment, but <laughs> but um, that relationship, you know, I mean, has created such beautiful works of art. You know, uh, so why did I choose the world time? I mean. Sven Anderson is famous for a couple of things in his long and storied career. I think it's 42 years now of, of independence. And before that, he was at Patrick Philippe, 
in the ground complications uh, atelier. So, you know, what he's known for, he's, he's, he's called the watchmaker of the impossible. So what he's known for, uh, apart from the erotic pieces, the automatons, he's, he's primarily known for his world timer, which is somewhat inspired by his time at Patrick Philippe. But of course, he's, he's you know, put his own take on it and is executed at a very artisanal level. Um, and I think he doesn't, he, I think if I recall, he never produced uh, an enamel world timer in serial production. I think once in a while he made some one-off pieces, but that was decades ago. So I thought, hey, I mean, I love enamel. Um, this world time is a great platform for, for you know, to express my enamel artistic sensibilities, I guess. So, so let's try doing that, you know. And uh, I think the world time is a is a beautiful platform to express my love, my passion for travel, for romance, culture, you know, art, for the beautiful landscapes and monuments of man. You know, I mean, I it's just the romance of travel, really. You know, so ex expressed in such a romantic complication in cloisonné enamel. I mean, it's probably the most beautiful Dao type of, of all in watchmaking and i mean it's just perfect really you know so so it was just a natural um fit really you know the world time the enamel world time um and it's been wonderful so far i mean i think we've 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 so far we've released uh, the standard version which is a world map why i call it standard is actually different world maps at different color tones so it is all still quite unique and we've also had the Sunset over Cappadocia, which is really um, uh, well-received. But we're also releasing a rose gold one. And I think this is the first time you guys are hearing it publicly. We are releasing a rose gold version with the Northern Lights um, Clausonia enamel scene and with Gioche uh, on the down. So I think it's probably the only instance of a Gioche combined with Clausonia enamel, combined with Pione enamel as well you know on any watch not just a world time as far as i know so mm. that should be quite amazing uh, you know i've seen the pictures it's, it's it's gorgeous and i can't wait to release that in in the next few months and then um, we are going to have special editions from all sorts of different scenes for the world time well i i'd say well done to you ben like Thank really you. from a friend you know whether it's Thank on the you. podcast or not well done like i personally can see why this was a success. First of all, the design is, I think, really good. Thank you. You offer the Cloisonne enamel, which Patek kind of have made famous with their, um, you know, their yeah. world timers themselves. But the thing is, they're unobtainium. Exactly. You know, in terms of price point and also... Um, even if you have the money, you can't get it anyway. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and you're offering it at a lower price point, but also key, you've just hit that moment where people are appreciating independent watchmaking, yeah. right? So people actually appreciate, oh, that isn't a downgrade. In fact, yeah. it's more exclusive. It's probably yeah. arguably, well, better finishing. Yeah, more yeah. exclusive. And, and and the design is there and I can get a world enamel world timer, right? I'm just forget. trying to rack my brain. Like, is there any other, is that package available anywhere else? Like as far as far as I know, no. And and don't forget yeah, that's you, why can then, it, right? you can have it bespoke as well, which no one else does. I mean, I'm not sure if Patek does it. Maybe if you're on a Sultan or somewhere, you know, you you probably can get a bespoke Patek World Timer. But uh yeah. and I love Patek, you know, they're they're a great brand. 
it's it's truly an honor to be compared to them. Um, but you know, I mean, I think we are the only game in town with a bespoke uh, uh, bespoke DAO uh, party. Uh, sorry, a bespoke DAO Clausami World Timer, uh, where you know where you can have it custom made, customized as well in terms of design, and uh, the city rings as well. The city names can be completely customized. I don't think any other brand does that for any you know any World Timer at any price point. So that's quite unique as well. And also, okay. a lot of people have mentioned the the Lux. You know, I designed the Lux. I think it's uh, I think it's beautiful. It's it's going to be a core design element of all my BCHH pieces. The the Eagle Wing Lux, which are so you know flowy and beautiful. If you notice, all the watches from all three of my brands have certain common characteristics, even though they are all quite distinct in design. I try to make them distinct in in uh, in terms of the three brands. But they all share certain characteristics. So they are obviously not oversized. They try to be as slim and as elegant as possible, even for the divers. But also a lot of them have very characteristic, characterful lugs as well. So be it the uh, the Bombay Lux from the Minicron or the uh, the teardrop lugs from the Celadon, or right now with the Celadon Century, you've got the Moonbridge uh, case, um, which gives this feeling of Yuan Man, of roundness. And then with BCHH, you have the Eagle Wing Lux. So, you know, that that's, that's kind of a common trait among all three brands. So even though they're different, but they, 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 they're all part of the same family in a way. You can see the okay. DNA. Yeah. And like now, with this success, uh, and I'm assuming this is your biggest success within like the what so far, but what is the next stage? Are you going to continue with the three brands? Or are you gonna focus on on BCHH and Anderson Genève? What what's what's the future for you? So I'm going to focus on all three brands, but probably not at the same um, well intensity. I mean, BCHH and Celadon HH will be my primary focus because that's always been my dream to create high end, high horology, high horology watches, not just watches but clocks. You know, all sorts of crazy pieces. You know, no holds barred, no compromises, no price, you know, in mind. Just just the best possible, the craziest thing possible. That's always been my dream, you know. Not just for watches, but for everything. I mean, as you know me, for caviar, for clothes, for food, you know, it's got to be the best, man, you know. Even though I I, 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 may, I, may, I may not have the, the budget for that, but uh, I try to create the best so that I can, well, enjoy it in a way. So BCHH and Saladon HH are going to be the primary focus. Obviously, I'm not going to neglect Millicron. Uh, I mean, I, I wear those pieces almost every day in Singapore. And then I've got Maison Saladon as well, which is still going strong. Uh, those are more everyday Chinese pieces. And they have they have quite a strong following as well, you know. So, but in terms of uh, ambition, I mean, BCHH would be the primary one. And the, the plan is to create more six-figure watches. And we will be releasing our first six-figure USD uh, watch from BCHH around the end of this year. It's going to, I say it's a watch, it's uh, it's sort of a watch. You'll see, it's 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 quite... Um, Tell me off air. It's quite <laughs> game-breaking, sorry? Tell me off air. Tell, yeah, for sure. I'll show you off air as well. <laughs> okay. So yeah, it should be interesting. And um, and yeah, I've really started work on a seven-figure watch from for BCHH that will be our 
10th anniversary um, uh, piece, so to speak. So that's in uh, seven years, six, seven years from now. So, you know, we got to start start early, start cracking. And we're, we're almost there. Okay, right. We're on our last question of the interview. And sure. it's been very fruitful. So this whole journey, you know, it's taking you to many places and, and probably taking yourself personally, you know, to many different places in your mind. Um, what is the main thing you've learned about yourself? along this journey (laughs) that's a question for the ages isn't it um i think that one of the things i've learned is that you should always embrace every setback as a chance to learn something to improve on yourself and you know it's a bit of a cliche right what doesn't kill you makes you stronger but I, i completely think that's true you know and you definitely grow stronger because, you know, like I said just now, it's not been a smooth journey at all. You know, it's not been just one straight road up and me just using my unlimited funds to just commission stuff, you know, offhand. I mean, I wish it could have been like that, but actually probably not because I think the lessons I've learned are just completely priceless. And those lessons have kind of armed me, equipped me for much greater things ahead. And, you know, those things are truly priceless. And um, also, also, I guess, aside from business, you should also kind of treasure family, treasure time. Because time, ironically, you know, considering the industry we're in, time is the most valuable thing, you know. It's it's the only resource that's finite. So I think that you should always treasure the the important moments with your loved ones even yourself you know if i'm on a if i'm on a trip somewhere i'm somewhere special i just take time to be present don't look at your phone don't don't you know tweet on social media or whatever just be there with the people who matter and just enjoy that moment you know because it's it's not going to come back that's all you have you know and 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 you should really treasure these key moments in your life Oh, that was very, very heartfelt. So Thank you. that's the main interview. How did you find it, Ben? You were nervous about it before, but how did you find it? Well, I wasn't really nervous. I was just curious, but uh, it was fun, man. It was, it was, it was great. I really loved it, and and you know, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk more about my journey and everything, and and perhaps to dispel certain notions, because um, I always love connecting with my, you know, my my supporters my clients you know that's one of the best things about doing what i do like meeting people from all over the world from different cultures it's just it's it's, it's just so fun and and really really flattering and honor honoring you know in a way that people who've never met you from halfway across the world um, support you with their money or with their time or everything i mean i've had people that you know volunteer to show my pieces at exhibition completely for free you know i mean they 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 don't even know me they don't owe me anything but but it's just i mean I, i'm just in complete gratitude for it and and through this journey i've been able to learn so much and and experience so many fun things so many beautiful things meet so many interesting people like yourself like you long long you know i mean it's just been a great great journey man you know and 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 uh, the most important thing is to look back at the end of your life and realize that 
you lived a life uh, well lived, man. So I, that's one thing I aspire to. Okay. Well, now it's the reverse round. And I know it was mean with my questions. So I hope you go a bit easy on me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So shoot. I'll try my best. <laughs> so tell me an interesting watch story that, that you know, you've experienced in, in your time in the watch industry. Hmm. An interesting watch. Okay, I've got yeah. an interesting one, which um, so has I been told ask, before. Yeah, I uh, want to ask one watch story and one normal story. So either of you can answer. Okay, I'll do one. the watch yeah. story. Yeah. Sure. So um, it has been told, but I'm not sure everybody maybe have listened to the episode. But um, my friend, uh, Kelvin. Yeah, so... You know Calvin, don't you? Yeah, <laughs> you know Calvin. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know him. I know him. Yeah, yeah. He's you a great know him, guy. right? Yeah. So <laughs> we were just talking. He, like, crazy things just seem to gravitate to yeah. to him. And really, when you talk about crazy watch stories, um, you know, it's like take your pick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure, man. I can imagine. <laughs> and, and I think the one I will tell is, so he was looking to get a. Uh, this is all told in a hypothetical way, okay? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he he was looking to get a Blancpain, Super okay. Trofeo. And yeah. it was his um, one of his Grail watches because it was one of the watches he saw as a kid and always wanted, but never could afford. And yeah. when he had enough money, um, he saw it in England and he was like, oh, Daniel, you're from England. Can you sort this out for me? So I was like, okay, <laughs> I liaised with the guy and I emailed him and basically the deal was done. And he stupidly, as in Kelvin stupidly, hypothetically asked for the watch to be sent to China, um, <laughs> which meant that when it got to customs, and he did tell the seller not to include the price tag, but when it did get to customs and China has a really steep luxury tax, yeah. uh, you know, they gave Kelvin a call. And said, yeah. um, are you trying to sneak this in, like without paying um taxes? And China customers, they don't differentiate between like first-hand and second-hand pieces, especially in that kind of price range. Yeah. So, you know, he went down there and tried to argue and and, and you know used every trick in the book, right? <laughs> and he managed to weasel his way out of picking the watch up in Shanghai and asking it to be re-delivered and rerouted back <laughs> to the logistics company down to Hong Kong. Right. So he's doing that. And then, you know, he's checking the, obviously where the watch is every, you know, for every week and the watches are moving, right? So <laughs> it's not moving from Shanghai. And every time he calls uh, the carrier, the courier, they say, ah, oh, it's on its way, it's on its way. And two months pass by. Hmm. And two months pass by to a point where he's like, come on, where is this watch? You know, why is it not moving? One day he's scrolling on his WeChat moments, which is basically, for those that don't have WeChat, like your Facebook um, feed or your social media feed. And he sees the exact watch that he had bought, right? Being offered by one of his dealer friends. So he goes, he messages his dealer friend and he goes, oh, that's interesting. Like, I've just purchased this watch and I'm waiting for it to come out from customs. Yeah. You know, how much are you selling it for? So she tells him, he asks for more pictures and he realizes it's his watch. 
<laughs> he realizes it's the watch that he bought, but it had been stolen from the courier, right? And the courier knew about this, but didn't know how to tell him, so they were stalling. Anyway, oh. now he's he's armed with this information, right? He tells his dealer friend, you know, the whole story, and he goes to the courier. He goes, "Where's the watch?" And the, and the courier says, "Oh, we're still processing it." And he goes, he basically said a lot of bad language and said, <laughs> you better find that watch because I know where it is. <laughs> and um, he tried to, you know, get some benefits from them in the end, claimed insurance. And um, obviously, he didn't have, you know, he didn't make a loss. He got his money back, but he didn't have his watch. Right. And by this yeah. time, the dealer has uh, removed the watch and given it back to the person that gave it to her and everything, yeah? Retraced it, just put it, just got rid of it. And then Kelvin's like, hang on, I don't have the watch and it sucks. I'm not out of pocket, but I wanted the watch. And then he finds the WeChat contact, which is basically the WhatsApp contact, right? Of the person that the dealer get, get, uh, got it from. And he messages them and says, and scares them and says, you know, do you still have the watch? And the person that stole it out did have the watch. Hmm. And then they were like, don't call the police. You know, I've done this, only done this like, uh, you know, once, you know, I've got a family to feed, blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. And he goes, give me the watch and we'll call it quits. And they meet and hmm. they, he gets his watch. Well, uh, that, that was a journey <laughs> yeah that's a journey right so that's a bit of a crazy watch yeah, story yeah. again hypothetical didn't yeah. really happen it's a sure. story <laughs> no i just made it up here but yeah. it's a fantastic story anyway <laughs> yeah wow <laughs> i bet the um the watch holds a lot of meaning for him when he looks at it yeah yeah i mean you, you know, you potentially get your dream watch that yeah. you always wanted for free, right? Which is kind yeah. of ironic yeah. because yeah. you could never afford it, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, I... Long Long, your turn. No, can I, okay. I was going to say, can I like yeah. cop out on this one? Is there another question? I have no crazy <laughs> stories. Unless, Dan, can you think of one that's <laughs> happened to me that's not bad? I know lots of crazy yeah. stories that you've had with certain guys. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you can't share any of them. That's the different thing. podcasts. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What about trivia? Trivia, sure. Well, it could be anything, as long as it's interesting. If it's not, then you have to go again. Okay. Why don't? Hey, you know what? I'm gonna use this. I am gonna use this opportunity to address something. Yeah. Anyways, I can't yeah. uh, name the actual username of this person. But um, he's on Instagram and he's a very active and big account person on Instagram. And we kind of joked about this in the past, but um, like something really small. Right. But basically this guy, he goes around. Um, he's a huge watch collector and he goes around like messaging all these uh, girls, which is fine. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, the common theme in his messages is that he uses a lot of flower emojis and this goes with his age so i guess they they don't mm. use smiley faces they they use flowers or whatever anyways yeah. as i'm realizing okay this conversation is super inappropriate i'm like okay let me get some info on this guy so then i i start to make small talk with him trying to find out like what does he actually do for a living 
And then I find out like, oh, so he's the CEO of this thing that obviously will put him in a really bad position if it was revealed this chat, right? <laughs> um, but I didn't tell anyone because I thought, okay, he has an, looks like he has a great family and so on and so on. Okay, but anyways, long story short, so he pestes me, sends me all these voice messages, all this stuff. I've sent some of this to Dan anyways. And then um, I think over, I think it, he realized that mm, this is really risky. So he'll go back into the chat and then delete everything on his side. So it just looks like I'm talking to myself. But then <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay, whatever. At least like That's one person amazing. like Dan knows about what happened. And then yeah. recently this other girl who's, I would say she's 10 years younger than me. She messaged me and no, she didn't message me. She put it on her Instagram stories and I recognized the voice, but she blurred out the username. And then, um, so I messaged her. I was like, are you okay? Blah, blah, blah. And then same thing. This guy's like, send me a picture of you in a red, uh, I mean, in red lingerie. So she goes online and she <laughs> just Googles red lingerie model and crops the photo that looks nothing at all like her. She's Asian and she crops this uh, white model and sends it <laughs> to him. And he's like, is that really you? <laughs> like, and he's actually taking it seriously. But anyways, my point is, something small but like uh this is a constant theme in my life but yeah i hope one day somebody actually has the guts or whatever that i wasn't able to do but like post this guy's uh name like name username everything if anyone dms me and you're a girl i will gladly give you his username <laughs> yeah yeah so Ben, you better stop doing that. Yeah, Ben, it's, it's, it's actually. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I gotta delete my my IG right now, man. You know, <laughs> I thought I covered my tracks, but you know, guess not. <laughs> right, Ben. Um, I hope you like the answers. Um, we now go on to the pump push around. Yeah, you're okay. Go again, you know. <laughs> um, the first one. You love yeah. traveling. Which was the yeah. best hotel you stayed in? And what are the um, most important parameters that you gauge a hotel with? This is a bit like asking what's your favorite watch, you know? I mean, I, I learned a long time ago that it's just impossible to answer. Um, Why don't we like lim like yeah. make the geographic region smaller? Or no, just let's talk about a summer location, somewhere where it's hot. Well, I don't like hot places in general. Okay, so let's do a, a winter location. I, I, I can I can give you a couple, you know, in recent memory that I really liked. I, I'm not sure if they're gonna be the absolute best I've ever stayed in, but I mean you won't go wrong if you stay there. So I really like um there's this there's this hotel called Trauber Tonbach, and it's in the Black Forest in Germany. Mm. And uh, it's in this town called Byersbronn. Uh they're part of the Relais Chateau. And, you know, it's just this little inn in the middle of nowhere in Germany. But you've got amazing restaurants. You've got a three-star there. You've got a two-star. And, and you've got, like, a mirror image resort just a five-minute drive away with another three-star restaurant. It's called the Barais. Mm -hmm. And the location is amazing. Service is amazing. Some of the best breakfasts I've ever had. They've got German sect, which is a German champagne. Uh, they've got amazing quality, amazing spread for breakfast, for food in general. So, so I mean, they really hit the notes uh, that I value. Uh, good food, good service, uh, beautiful scenery and setting. I mean, to be honest, the weak point is probably the rooms, where they are a bit on the old and chintzy side, but it kind of fits the um, the location. 
So I, I tend to prefer more modern decor. Um, I was originally going to stay at this place called the uh, Forestis in the Dolomites. I was going to go in June, but then my my dog got a bit ill, so I put off that trip. But uh, definitely planning to go in the near future. Mm. And uh, another place I really love is Lake Como. I mean, mm. the hotels there are not that amazing. I mean, you've got the Mandarin Oriental, which is not bad, probably the best there. You've got the Villa d'Este, which is, uh, I don't think the rooms are that great, but the 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 hotel itself is, is just full of history. But the setting of Lake Como is just completely beautiful. I mean, it's like being on heaven, you know, on uh, being in heaven on earth, especially if you go sort of off season, like in April or in uh, in May. The weather is beautiful. I mean, you're literally in heaven. And I mean, I I, I it's one of my favorite places on earth. Uh, I, I stayed at this little sort of uh, agriturismo in Lake Como, just two rooms, and they've got amazing food and, and a beautiful view of uh, uh, Bellagio and Tremezzo. Uh, in general, I think I think if you look at the Relay and Chateau website, most of the places they they uh, that are part of the list tend to be very good because they, there's a strong emphasis on food and and family run uh, places which tend to have good service. So I, I tend to like smaller chains. I don't like single hotels because then, you know, they don't have the resources mm. to really um, uh, live up to the standard that you expect. Mm. And I don't like big chains either with, the, you know, the points and all that. I, I like small chains like uh, Six Senses, Aman, One and Only, mm. uh, Cheval Blanc, you know. I think, I think those are the best in terms of hospitality right now. Um, I stayed at this place in Bali called Amankila. Uh, my last two birthdays overseas, which I think is is just beautiful. It's a bit on the old side, but in a good way. So you know, it's, it's a beautiful location, um, in a far far off place in Bali on the east side, and it's just gorgeous. Great service. Give us the full catalogue, just one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that that was just um, three, I think. Right? Was it? Yeah, you should you should just uh, be some kind of luxury. Uh, I don't know. Well, next on my list, man. You know, next next on my list of things to do. <laughs> right. Okay. Um. Next one. A moment in your life that had a profound effect. Wow. You know, I was just ruminating about this um, the other day. That um, life it, it really just boils down to a few pivotal moments. That you know, it's a bit like the butterfly effect, and it's just amazing. Like if you had been five seconds. Earlier or later, you would have missed that, but 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 because you were right at the right place at the right time, and things just played out with cascading effects decades down the road, you know. So, I mean, um, uh, well, last week my dog passed away. Uh, you know, I had him for 12, 12 and a half years, and you know, obviously it was a very uh, sad, emotional moment. But uh, you know, I, I was just thinking that. He was the best thing that ever happened to my life so far, and you know, if I had, I was just tracing back the journey to how I I met him. You know, uh, if I had not, um, well, how well it depends how far back you want to go. But um, I went out to a a, a club one night uh, many decades ago with a good friend. And and we saw a bunch of girls, and you know we asked them to uh, hang out and all that. And maybe about ten years later, I was uh, in a relationship with that girl. And then uh, a couple of years after that, she 
um, you know, I, I said, I want to get a dog, you know, I, I would love to get a corgi. And she said, okay, let's go visit this pet shop one day, you know, just, just totally off the hook, off the cuff. And, and, and we went there and I just completely fell in love with this dog. You know, the first thing he did was just lick my hand and uh, that, that we, we just completely fell in love. So yeah. And that was the best thing that ever happened to me. And it's just crazy that it all started from that, that pivotal moment where I decided I'm going to turn back and, and talk to that girl. You know, I could have just wandered forward with my friend and just, just, you know, just, just, we had gone our separate paths and, 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 and I would never have met, uh, uh, my, my dog, you know, and wow, that's just crazy. I mean, they were separated by a, by a difference of maybe 10 years, I think, you know, the, the two moments, but mm. I mean, that just, that's just one example of how many of life's most important things really just boil down to a few pivotal moments. So and you obviously can't control it, really. So I think the best thing is just to be bold, you know? I look back at certain moments in my life where I chose the road less traveled, the, the bolder option, and every time I look back, it's it's not failed me, you know? So, like, for example, in, in when I was interning in a law firm as well, I, I, I you know, I, I mustered all my courage to go up to the managing partner who is the, the big boss of the firm, and this is the most... A prestigious firm in Singapore and, and and just started up a conversation with him. And, and you know, from then on, that's how we got to know each other and that's how he offered me the training contract. Um, personally, you know, normally it's the recruiting partner that would offer the, the employment contract. But this came from the, the top guy himself. And he later became the Solicitor General of Singapore. So, I mean, you know, and I always remember that, that, that time, you know, I always value our friendship and 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 he still remembered me many years later when we met somewhere else. So it's it's really all these just pivotal moments that really tell the story of life, of, of your life, and determine the course of your life. So I my advice to your listeners is if you can choose two options, choose the bolder option, you know. That's not gonna disappoint you. Okay. Right. I'm gonna finish off with the last two. Okay. Yeah. Last two. A quote that you live by and a book that you love? So I'll give you two quotes. I think one, okay, the first quote is, always believe that something wonderful is about to happen. You know, always be optimistic about, about life. The second quote is, one day we'll look back at the small things and realize that they were the big things. So that's a bit like, that kind of plays into my what, what I said earlier. And, you know, obviously now I'm in a bit of a, a more pensive, more contemplative mood, you know, but uh, it's, it's given me an opportunity to examine my life so far. And, I mean, it's not been perfect, but I'm quite happy with what has happened. And um, uh, as for my favorite book, um, I would say I have a lot of business books that I like. I mean, you know, it's all the usual suspects. I think it would be quite cliche and boring for me to mention them. But in recent memory, one of the more interesting books I've read is um, Ovid's Ars Amatoria, The Art of Love. So this was written around 2000 years ago, 79 AD by Ovid. And it is basically in three, uh, three parts. So the first part is teaching a man how to, how to get a woman. 
And then the second part is how to keep a woman. And then the last part is teaching women how to get and keep a man. And this is written in a very jocular, tongue-in-cheek way. And it's, it's just crazy. This was, this was written 2,000 years ago. And many of the things still apply the same today. I mean, it really shows human nature hasn't really changed much, you know, and probably will never change. And uh, obviously, it's written in a very lighthearted manner. So I thought it was quite it was quite funny and quite uh, interesting. And it's just crazy that 2,000 years separate us, but uh, some things just never change, really, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. The last... Can I, mention, can I mention the trivia, some trivia? Because I asked you uh, about the trivia long, long. So I just want to return the favor by mentioning some trivia that... Uh, okay, uh, all right. Um, yeah. Well, that can be your last question then. Sure, Tell us one sure, piece sure. of what's trivia um, that you yeah. think we don't know. Sure. Well, it's going to be about my brand, so okay. <laughs> I've, been, I've been boring, hopefully not. But uh, yeah. yeah, I just, right. I just, found, yeah, I just found out last year in 2021 that um, about your own brand. I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, for the last 11 years. <laughs> no, no, unfortunately not. So it, from 2016, I've been kind of supporting this little dog shelter in Singapore called Gentle Paws. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they're a really small dog shelter. They're not not like the big ones. So so I've been supporting them since 2016. I've been uh, donating a bit of money and, and, and um, selling. I, I, at one stage, I was including a calendar because they, they produce this uh, dog calendar every year as uh, the, the main way to fund their shelter. Mm-hmm. I used to buy the calendars and include them with every watch I sold. Then I realized the shipping costs as much as a calendar. So mm-hmm. it's kind of pointless. Yeah. So I, I, I instead of including the calendars, I included a card instead. And then I simply donated the amount I would have paid for the shipping to them. Mm-hmm. So, and I realized last year that they were started on the exact same day as my, as my, as my dog. Uh, the one that just passed away, Chestnut. And and I literally realized this 11 years after they were started and five years after I started helping them. Which How, how, how crazy is that? Not just the same um, day, not just the same date, but the same year as well. Uh, 3rd of April 2010. The exact same birthday as my, as my dog. And I realized at that time that, hey, this is a sign, you know? I mean, what are the odds, you know? And 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 yeah, what are the odds? Yeah, yeah. These guys, these these guys, these dogs are also like kind of my pets in a way, you know. So so I have a duty to help them, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, even so, now that Chestnut's gone, you know, I mean, even more so that I feel this great uh, this drive to help them. So I mean, like 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 from the beginning, I always wanted to 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 meet to 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 perhaps. Uh, create my 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 to do my to do my works as as a sort of uh, to be a force for good in general, you know. Mm-hmm. So so we create watches, and ultimately, it's not really that serious. But I think the 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 side effect of that is that we are able to generate financial resources that can have serious implications of 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 you know truly helping those in need you know not just with dogs which i'm really moved to help but also with you know the needy with with senior citizens with with young children which i really hope to do so more and more mm-hmm. but i mean last year i decided that that i would i would have this initiative like after my dog would pass 
I would create this thing called the Chestnut Foundation because my my dog's called Chestnut. Mm -hmm. So I would create this shelter as a as a symbol of love to to you know take care of hundreds of dogs, thousands of dogs, hopefully you know, mm -hmm. and 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 just be a just be a symbol of hope and love you know, and then be truly a force for good. And in a way that also honors his memory, allows his name to to live on forever. Hopefully, um, hopefully in a way is a kind of a, like a, a legacy planning, and uh, yeah, just just hopefully I can you know do my little part to help those that I can you know. So I mean, we create watches, and it's all it's all in good fun. You know, we have some champagne, we have fun, but in the end, we also create something that's truly significant. And I think that's what really, really matters, you know. That's what that's what will really count down the line. So I mean, that's what really fulfills me. You know, it's not just it's not just making money, but it's also putting that money to really helping, you know, the causes that I hold dear to my heart. That's really nice. Passing it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I think that's a great way to end the podcast. Um, I think we found you in a very philosophical mood. Um, you can tell you from know, the lighting to, in his room. <laughs> yeah, candle know, yeah. and everything, and um, but more so because you know what's happened in the yeah. you know recent yeah. recent days for you. Uh, you know, again, my condolences. Thank you. Um, but yeah, like we hope you enjoyed that episode with Benjamin Chi. Um, we'll see you guys on the next one. See ya. Bye. Thank you, guys. As always, thank you for listening to the Waiting List Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, feel free to reach out to us at the Waiting List Podcast on Instagram or via our private accounts. We'll see you on the next one. Bye. Bye. Bye.